Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Commons people this week, will we have a happy Monday? I think it would be a good thing, Mr Speaker, if, if people had an idea of what's coming the following day. Or will the lockdown continue? We will need to adjust to a new normal where we as a society adapt to safe new ways to work, to travel, to interact. And Keir Starmer finally takes on Boris Johnson. It's the second highest in the world. That's not success or apparent success. So can the Prime Minister tell us how on earth did it come to this? Hello and welcome to Commons People. I'm Arj Singh and joining me this week is Paul Wall. Hi Arj. Hey Paul. Uh, Rachel Wearmouth's also here. Hi Anna? Rachel. Hi Rachel. <laughs> uh, and we've got the Labour Shadow Culture Minister Tracy Brabin. Hi Arj. Hi Tracy, how are you? How's lockdown? Yeah. Well, uh, we're still cracking on and uh, just voted virtually and we're trying to get that uh, digital voting system up and working. I think it's going to be brilliant, actually. It's a really good step forward for Parliament. Yeah, good stuff. Well, the nation is on tenterhooks for Boris Johnson's address to the nation on Sunday when after six long weeks, he is going to announce how we can get out of this lockdown. No one's expecting any major changes soon, but the Prime Minister himself surprised everyone by suggesting we could all enjoy some new freedoms from Monday. Let's hear him. I just want to explain uh, to the House as a courtesy why it's happening on, a, on Sunday, Mr Speaker. I'm sure you'd be interested uh, to know that. The, the reason for that is very simple, that, that and, you know, we have to be sure that the data is going to support our ability to, uh, to do this. Uh, but uh, that data is coming in continuously over the next uh, few days. Uh, we'll want, if we possibly can, to get going with some of these measures on Monday. I think it would be a good thing, Mr Speaker, if, if people had an idea of what's coming the following day. That's why I think uh, Sunday, uh, the weekend, is the best time to do it. Um, Paul, what should we expect on Sunday? Well, what's interesting is that Boris Johnson obviously wants to get across the message how desperate he is to give some people a bit more of a normal life. Um, and I think it's... It's just part of the, the the psyche of Boris Johnson that he always prefers to be upbeat than downbeat. And, you know, you could argue that some of the, the X factories got politically, that he always seems to be like that. But the, the way the, the morning papers sort of projected it this morning with Magic Monday and Happy Monday, there's a real risk there, isn't there, for the government, which is that, you know, if it is really sunny this weekend, why would people say, well, why shouldn't I go out on Saturday and Sunday if I can go out on Monday? That's a really tricky thing to do. Um, and obviously, there's a lot of people in number 10 who used to work in tabloids. They know exactly what that briefing would have resulted in and what exactly what kind of headlines so there's a strange bit bit of mixed messaging and today you felt uh, Brandon Lewis was sort of on the on the airwaves trying to row back a bit but one thing that is true is that uh, it looks like you're going to be allowed unlimited exercise it looks like you're going to be allowed picnics and sitting on benches um 
Now, those things you might say basically are common sense and they should have been in place from the word go because a lot of people, particularly with young toddlers, thought it was a bit strange you could go out and toddlers don't want to always, you know, they'll, they'll get tired or old people, they'll get tired, they want to sit on a bench. So some of that just seems as though it's not much of a change, if you see what I mean. Um, and But some of it, like outdoor cafes, that might well be, be new. Um, and this whole idea of maybe even playing golf or non-contact sports like tennis, that, that, that would be interesting to watch out for. Yeah, the idea of unlimited exercise is quite terrifying in a way. I've just got <laughs> images of just running for about 12 hours non-stop. <laughs> uh, Tracy, what are Labour hoping to see? Well, certainly this is quite startling, I think, these front pages, because I think we have to be very mindful that we've got the worst rate of coronavirus uh, cases in Europe. We have to make sure that our communities are safe. And I think John Grace in The Guardian sort of nailed it when he said Boris Johnson is a prime minister for the good times. And it's almost in his instinct that he wants to make life better and happier for people. But actually, we need a serious conversation about how we get people back to work. Um, we've got businesses closing. And in my in my role, you know, we've got the announcement that the Nuffield Theatre in Southampton's closing. So we can't just say everything's going to be OK you know all the restrictions are lifted when there's the potential for more um people dying from this terrible virus yeah we'll, we'll come on to talking about um the cultural industries which um you look after but um what do, what do you make of paul's suggestion about the timing of the announcement on sunday do you think it's um maybe a bit troublesome if we're seeing loads of deaths still or cynical that it's going to be portrayed as this optimistic announcement when when we're definitely not out of the woods yet I absolutely agree. We are not out of the woods. And certainly uh, with the Spanish flu, you saw uh, once people thought it was over, then you have a spike. We have to make sure we don't have a second spike. And our NHS is being overwhelmed because certainly in Mid-Yorkshire Trust, they've done an amazing job in not being overwhelmed. The Nightingale Hospital's there as a reserve. All the uh, work that's gone into protecting our NHS uh, workforce, you know, we, we have to be serious and uh, level-headed about this and certainly I think Paul's assumption is absolutely right that people think well if I can go out Monday I can go out on Saturday and Sunday we have to you know try and get that message across that we are not out of the woods by any means. Yeah um, Rachel schools looks like uh, they're not going to be a part of any easements as uh, Darren Streaky <laughs> calling them. horrible word. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> on Monday. Um, how big an issue is that? Um, well, it's it's massive because you've, you've got to remember that schools have been shut since like March 20th. That's a lot of school, like a lot of education for these young people to be missing. Um, but big problem with schools, though, is that um, a lot of kids are asymptomatic, the scientists would suggest. So um, it's very difficult for for kids to be mixing in groups and mixing with teachers. You know, it's it's just it's kind of the just recipe for them to be super spreaders basically um but just the, the impact on young people and potentially the future economy that these young people's futures is just incredible really and there's a massive difference between sort of how um kids with very involved parents and who go to outstanding schools how how, how they're coping with this time compared with you know some disadvantaged kids a lot of the um, government's policy around this and the delivery's been pretty terrible to be honest you know it's weeks and weeks of delays for any of the laptops that they're supposed to get they're being offered free routers but if they don't have the internet they don't have you know there's not much point in them having a router um and i, I would just also say that there's kind of how 
thinking about how the government's trying to deal with it. There's not talking about maybe some extra tuition, um, but, that, you know, tell that to teachers who are very overworked uh, anyway. Um, but I think it, it, there's some suggestion that the government's kind of got their eye on how they're going to deal with this in the future because um, the social mobility czar, Martina Milburn's just resigned. And a, a big part of her reason was that I think she could only do like three days a week or so. And she says, you know, this job is this job needs um, needs someone to give this full time and very serious commitment. And I wonder if they might look to somebody like Justine Greening, former education secretary, or, or someone else perhaps. But in terms of an actual date, um, they've talked a little bit about June first, but there's been no confirmation of that. And he said it'll be in a phased manner, so different years, perhaps going back at different times. Um, and he's already ruled, he's already ruled out at this point that there'd be um, schools um, opening over the summer. There was t some talk of that originally, but that's he, he very much has put that to bed already. Yeah, Tracy and Paul, this must be hard for parents. I think it's really difficult for parents and uh, certainly homeschooling is challenging. The government's uh, saying to people, if you can work from home, work from home. But then also if you have children, you have another job on top of it, which is actually homeschooling. And just picking up on what Rachel was saying, talking to um, educators and my council about returning uh, schools returning. It's also about keeping the staff safe. So you've got your dinner servers, you've got your, um, you know, your uh, support staff, your t TAs who are often really poorly paid anyway. Um, and we've got to make sure that they are protected, as well as the parents bringing in and older grandparents, maybe dropping off children and so on. You can't just say the doors are open and, and kids can now go back to school. And certainly um, where uh, workforce are furloughed. They've also got added costs from nurseries. So, you know, you're, you've got your children at home, but then you're in contracts for nurseries. Um, the financial impact has been absolutely massive. And I do think families are really faring very badly. Yeah, yeah well, the, the, the government's main aim in easing some of the restrictions is to get people back working to help the economy, which is tanking while we all stay at home. The Bank of England became the latest institution to issue a dire warning this morning that the UK is on track for its deepest recession on record. Meanwhile, Rishi Sunak wants to wean companies off the furlough scheme that sees the state paying 80% of workers' wages. And the Chancellor sounds increasingly worried about the impact of the lockdown on the nation's finances. Let's have a listen. Well, to anyone who's anxious about this, I want to give them reassurance today that there will be no cliff edge to the furlough scheme. I'm working as we speak to figure out the most effective way to wind down the scheme and ease people back into work in a measured way. But as some scenarios have suggested, we are potentially spending as much on the furlough scheme as we do on the NHS, for example. Now, clearly, that is not a sustainable situation. Paul, Rishi Sunak had an interesting ITV interview this week in which he, he, he pointed out that the furlough scheme is costing as much as it costs to, to fund the NHS, essentially. He seems increasingly worried about this. Yeah, there's a real problem, I think, with um, with some of the government's language on this. This idea of uh, people being weaned off almost the dependency culture uh, language. And I think that, obviously, it's going to be insulting to a lot of people who are in really precarious situation as it is. But also, it, it sort of it underestimates just how long term this help may have to be there for. Now, obviously, 
the government doesn't want to keep borrowing forever. No one wants that. But I think the, the language they've used early on may well worry some of those core voters that they're supposed to be hanging on to, particularly in the north and the Midlands, who are really living on the breadline. Yeah, what do you make of that, Tracy? What's it like in, in Batley and Spen? Well, certainly we have uh, been massively impacted by 10 years of austerity and we were just coming out of it. And this is going to devastate us and our communities. And also those tragic figures about um, COVID affecting BME communities uh, in a disproportionate number. I've got quite a, um, a diverse constituency. We've lost our first consultant. It's absolutely tragic, um, uh, uh, Dr. Khan. And I think we will more than most really suffer. And I agree with Paul, this idea that we've got to wean people off furloughs. If people are drinking pina coladas with their feet up, enjoying being paid 8% of, of their salaries. I mean, it, remember, the cap is two and a half grand. 80% of a salary is, you know, it is a movable feast. People aren't on two and a half grand. They're on 80% of their absolutely poor poverty wage as it is. Um, and to say that we're weaning up people off furlough is actually quite disrespectful. And I would say every single viable um, productive business that goes bankrupt because of COVID is a failure on this government and actually will really impact on recession. And Batley and Spen, massive bed manufacturers, for example, 70% of all the mattresses in the UK slept on are made in Batley and Spen and Kirklees. But they've really struggled because they have to pay VAT and tax at the port. They've got no income. They've had to close. Uh, they can't maintain social distancing. You know, I am going to I'm looking at quite substantial job losses locally. And I don't know how we're going to recover because uh, talking the language from Rishi Sunak at the beginning was, oh, whatever it takes, well, you know, we'll do whatever it takes. And now it's like, actually, it's costing a bit too much. We're going to start pulling back. Who is going to be paying the price for that? It's communities like mine. Yeah, and, and Rishi Sunak and the government are focusing on workplaces that maybe it's easier to get people back into, like construction or, or things like that. Um, but it's the cultural industries that you kind of look after in your new role that are probably going to be worst hit by this. I mean, is there any way to get theatres, gig venues, cinemas, things like that up and running sooner? Look, this is absolutely uh, seismic for the creative industries, because as you can see from the offer from government for support, we are the least understood. This portfolio career, people don't sort of understand self-employed and freelance and PAY contracts. Also, I think we're the least supported. There are so many who are slipping through the net and we are actually going to be the longest um, in this situation because we're going to be the last to come back and certainly talking to theatre um, uh, managers it looks like 2021 before things are going to get back to some semblance of normality and talking to the Society of London Theatres of all their people who book tickets 80% say they have no confidence in booking a ticket because of social distancing you can't social distance in a theatre at a gig um, you know comedy nights are tricky as well it's going to be incredibly difficult for this sector and that's why I'm so frustrated that it was only after massive pressure on March 26 that Rishi Sunak realised that the self-employed are absolutely not being supported and there are still sectors of my um, uh, portfolio that are absolutely falling through the net and to be honest we need a new deal this is absolute crisis for our sector we need the government to have a real plan about how we're going to come back because at the moment um, uh, consumer confidence is so low we 
we're not going to be having mass gatherings until next year. And if that's the case, as I mentioned, the Nuffield Theatre's closed. That's going to be the first of the dominoes. But also, um, it's a real passion of mine to make sure that we keep working class voices and uh, performers and creatives in this sector because we need that diversity of, of thinking. And I know that they are going to be the first to fall out. They're going to be the first to say, sack it off. I can't make any money. I'm living on fresh air. Um, my daughter's an actor and she was trying to get universal credit and she was 150,000 in the queue. You know, she can, she can live with her mum and dad. She's going to be okay. There are so many people who are amazing and talented. The next Maxine Peake, the next, next Stormzy, who are not going to be here this time next year. And it's devastating. I'm trying to get the, the import, the, the serious nature of it across to government. This isn't a nice to have industry. Of course, it's good for our cultural, um, you know, our, our mental health and all of that, but it's also economic. We're a, a, an exp well, we were an expanding industry. We're a fantastic exporter. We make a huge shed load of money for the for the government and for the country. And I think the economic argument should be as powerful as the sort of cultural and emotional argument about everybody has a right to a cultural life, that it's not just bed and work, bed and work. There has to be some chance for you to be with your friends, go to a comedy gig, uh, play in a rock band or, you know, you know, playing instruments. We have to ensure that that economic argument gets gets across as well, because when I did a call out for creatives to tell me what's happening to them, over 4,000 people replied. And uh, a lot of them were actually my friends, having spent over three decades as an actor and a writer, reading their really heartfelt personal stories of absolutely um, a wipeout for couples, for example, of their whole year's work and then not being eligible for any government support. It is a really, really deep and I think uh, ongoing crisis for this sector and the government really have to lead from the front. Yeah, we've heard the Culture Secretary Oliver Dowden talking a lot about uh, Premier League football, but not very much about the arts. What do you think of that? Well, I would say as somebody who's absolutely mad passionate about the creative industries, um, it's a bit disappointing in that since I've been an MP before years in October, there's been a fair number of um, DCMS secretaries of state. It does feel there's too much churn in that role um, and people use it as a stepping stone to something more important. I would say that actually this is probably one of the most important sectors um, uh, and should be part of the industrial strategy because of the impact financially and also all the things that the government wants to do you know they, they have a minister for loneliness social prescribing communities a sense of place and belonging firing up the north you know balancing up uh, the economy in the country all of those things are economic but also related to the creative industries i'm really disappointed and when he got the post i was uh, just googling him and he'd made one he, he'd written a um one blog about edinburgh festival and it was just a bit like oh okay so <laughs> we know where we're going here but um you know hopefully there will be uh, you know people in the sector who'll be talking to him and just sharing their love for uh, what is an amazing industry i think a lot of people kind of underestimate just how huge um britain's cultural industry is for 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 us globally and in terms of like the trade that we might do in the future and the soft power that it gives us um yeah and like you say it's such a massive export for us as well uh, well keir starmer appeared to pass another big early test this week uh take on boris johnson at the prime minister's questions for the first time and earning decent reviews 
He's also continued to reshape his top team, which saw the departure of Jenny Formby as Labour General Secretary this week. Let's hear Starmer taking on Boris Johnson over the UK's coronavirus death rate, now the highest in Europe. But at this stage, at this stage, I don't think that uh, international comparisons and uh, the data is, is yet there to draw the conclusions uh, that we want. Mr Speaker, the argument that international comparisons can't really be made when the government's been using slides like this for weeks to do international comparison just really doesn't hold water. Paul, we're only a month in, but are you beginning to see a strategy emerge from Keir Starmer? I think the strategy for Keir Starmer has been the one that you've seen really through his career, which is a sort of patient, incremental sense of change, but with a, a sort of firm route map uh, for where he wants to go. So he'll try and get as many people on board as possible when he wants to, when he set that direction. Um, and Brexit was a good example how he changed the whole of the Labour Party around this unified position. It didn't look possible at one point. And I think what's interesting from PMQ is obviously he's very good in that scenario. There's no question that he's raised the bar and that the government are going to have to be much more on their game. Um, but I, th I thought actually everything he does now is really about telling the public that I am an alternative prime minister. Absolutely everything, every appearance in the chamber, every appearance on the media, everything he does. Uh, that's the strategy. That's the big strategic aim, which is to reassure people, look, um, the policies are one thing, but actually the whole point of be, me being a credible prime minister is actually the message I want to get across. And um, it, that can show itself in lots of ways internally within the parties. You say um, he had the, you know, he had the, um, the change of general secretary this week. And I thought it was really significant that he said, look, um, this was done by mutual agreement. He made absolutely clear he didn't want the current general secretary or previous one in post. And he, he sounded quite steely when he, he, he was talking about that. That's He's going to need that, to be honest, um, because it's not going to be as easy as just getting rid of someone. He's going to have to build alliances and work really hard um, to sort out the party HQ, to sort out um, whether or not he wants community organisers, that kind of thing, whether he wants a different model. Um, and to, to be frank, to totally reshape the party in the light of the anti-Semitism row. So there's a lot in the intro for the new general secretary. And I think one thing that someone said to me this week was he had a slight setback for sure when the uh, NEC officers decided to seize control of this uh, shortlisting for the new general secretary. Um, that Someone said to me that actually that shows that on some things he's still got a long way to go. He's got a lot to learn about internal Labour Party politics because he didn't talk to enough people on that officers group before it happened. Um, and that's going to be a really important test for him because let's be honest, the only thing he can control at the moment is the Labour Party. He's not running the country. Um, as well as getting across the message an alternative prime minister, he's got to say, look, this is how I sort out my own my own shop um, and look at what I've done. Tracy, how is Starmer going over in constituencies like yours, which went close to turning Tory or, or some around you that actually went Tory at the election? Because they're, they're the voters you, you really need to win back. Well, certainly there's no doubt about the challenge that we need to not just win back in the red wall, but we need to win across the country. And uh, I nominated Keir Starmer and Angela. Um, and Keir's been on a number of occasions up to Batley and Spenny. And actually, people really like him. He is a serious man for serious times, and they like that. And certainly within the Labour Party, I've seen a new uh, professionalism. The, and structures uh, put in place is really helpful um, and helps us do our job in a way that um, wasn't before. And it, obviously, it's tricky when you know that 
um, you know, you are you are just in post until there's a new leader, and people had been um, losing staff and so on. So it was quite tricky um, before Kia came in, and but now there is a new sense of optimism, and certainly I do believe that over the next four years we can turn the tide and we can get our message across, not just to Labour seats like mine that are traditionally Labour, but across the country that actually this um, self-interest, what it seems like self-interest from a Conservative government or maybe um, more politics than actual um, a, a sense of listening to the country, I think that, um, that Labour could really put itself in a good position with Keir at the helm. Yeah, um, Rachel, who are some of the runners and riders to take over from Formby as General Secretary? Well, um, first of all, you've got um, Annalise Midgley, who is the um, political director for Unite. So that's the, the union that was probably most um, associated with Jeremy Corbyn. Um, you've got Lisa Johnson, who's head of um, corporate affairs for, for GMB. Um, GMB have got quite a few internal problems at the moment, so I don't know how that might turn out for her. Um, someone else that gets talked about quite a little bit is um, Bob Kerslick, which is um, obviously the former head of the civil service that will very much fit with um, Keir Starmer's aim to professionalise the party. Um, Brian Roy, who is the uh, former Scottish Labour General Secretary, who's kind of... Um, uh, moved out, moved out of the role when um, Richard Leonard took over. But um, there's a lot of talk about um, Starmer wanting to go outside of the of the big unions and a sort of fresh approach. So Kerslake would fit in with that. Um, I also wonder if somebody like Laura Parker from Momentum might be considered. Yeah, Tracy, do you have a preference? Um, to be honest, I haven't been had any oversight of this, um, but uh, I mean, it looks like a, a good lineup. I think Bob Kerslake, I have a lot of respect for him. I think Lisa Johnson is uh, really well connected. There's some very good people there. I'm sure Keir will make the right decision. I think one thing, one name that is worth mentioning is Alicia Kennedy, who used to work for Tom Watson. She's a peer. Um, she's, you know, um, she wrote a piece only this week suggesting what looked like a, a job application in all but name. Um, she has been Deputy General Secretary before, so she knows the party HQ really well. And she's very popular in, in the PLP. That could be possibly a stopgap arrangement for, for Keir Starmer, getting someone in there who knows the party straight away. But it's, and to be honest, it's, it's going to be, as I said earlier, it's all about his management of the party because basically with a majority now on the NEC it's up to him to decide who he wants and he has to somehow it's hard for him as a lawyer who loves process and everything else but he's asked has to basically say look this is who I want can you deliver rather than oh let's have a completely open process and who the best person wins he's got to say look this is someone I'm intimately going to work with um you know if that's Annalise Midgley that might well be the case she's very well respected in all wings of the party but if it if it's someone like Alicia Kennedy he's going to have to tell people very quickly who he wants and so far he's kept his cards very close to his chest Right, well, on that, uh, we better move on because uh, Paul's got to run off to the lobby briefing on a very important cabinet meeting. Uh, and it's time for the quiz. And Yay. this week is all about Keir Starmer. 
Hey. <laughs> it's about time to do the Keir Starmer quiz, I think. Just shout out the answer if you know it. That's the only rule. I thought um, you were going to have a bit of a Coronation Street trivia quiz and, and uh, Tracy <laughs> would wipe the floor with you. <laughs> what is really cool is that all the old episodes are now on because the Coronation Street has fallen off the grid because they don't have enough episodes. So all my episodes are back on. residuals, so <laughs> But I get more recognition. When I go to the daughter, they go, I know you from somewhere. And that's really helpful. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Fantastic. Right, question number one. Which shadow ministerial role did Starmer resign from in 2016 in Home affairs. Yeah, well done. I'll give you that. (laughs) Shadow immigration minister, yeah. Rachel's ahead. Um, Keir Starmer famously said during the Labour leadership contest that Keir Starmer lives in North London, but Keir Starmer grew up in a town outside London on the border of Surrey and Kent. But what is the town? Rygate. No. I thought it was, oh, Rygate's grammar is where he went to school. That's true, but it's not um, the town that he grew damn. up in. Oh, Oxted. Was it Oxted? Yes, well done, Paul. Well done, Paul. I obviously need to do more. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, this, is, this is wide open going into the final question. Uh, Huff post tie and Tracy can draw it across the board. Um, I should bring a tiebreaker to these in future. Anyway. You should. Um, during the leadership contest, Starmer revealed the most exciting thing that he's ever done. What was it? Does it take his son to Arsenal? Yeah. yeah, that, that, yeah. Right. And, and then he was castigated for it being so boring. But actually, for him, it was a beautiful thing to do because, um, you know, he's so busy and he doesn't think children enough. And I thought his response was really terrific to a lot of the abuse he got for it. Yeah, it's better than running through a wheat field, I suppose, isn't it? And Archie, I thought you were going to ask me what um, as um, a movie star was he uh, compared to Mr. Darcy? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's a good one. We can do that for Keir Starmer quiz mark two. Thanks, <laughs> Well, unfortunately, that's all we have time for this week. Thank you to my guests for joining me, and make sure you subscribe to Commons People on all the usual channels so you can catch us every Thursday. Be sure to get your daily dose of the latest politics news by signing up to the Warzone newsletter at bit.ly forward slash the hyphen war hyphen zone or follow the link in the episode notes. Well, in a week where Rosanna Allen Khan was told by Matt Hancock to change her tone, let's just hear the Shadow Health Minister changing her tone earlier this year. You've still, you've still got another 25 seconds before <laughs> sing it. If I could turn back time If I could find the up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com